Would you turn with me to 2 John? 2 John, living out God's truth. We finished 1 John, and I, I figured, why don't we just finish the other epistles of John? 2 and 3 John, same author. We get the flow of the author. I thought it was funny when... Um, uh, whatever your political persuasion is, okay? Don't even have to talk about it, but I just think it's funny that when uh, when newscasters were raising their hands and asking questions and President Trump said, no, I don't want to talk to you, you're fake news, right? I thought that was funny because he did say something that we were all thinking, right? Even on both sides, you know, the, the liberals will say Fox News is telling fake news, and the uh, conservatives will say uh, CNN and NBC is saying fake news. And the problem comes when we're trying to figure out what truth is. We all know we take it with a grain of salt. As, as the news comes in, we take everything with, with its bias. And we try and weigh out, okay, follow the money trail. Who's saying what? Right? Oh, they want military contracts. That's why they started a war. Oh, they wanted uh, money from Haiti. That's why they did that. Over and over, you see these argumentations. And you know what? I can't figure it out, to be quite frank. And how are you going to live your life with these leaders and, and people skewing the truth this way and that way? It, it is... It is Enough to make all of us figure out, just kind of say, where are we going with this? Think about even our lives. There are people who are always, always lying to you. Do you know that the world is always lying to you? You buy a Budweiser, you crack that open, and all of a sudden, your life is great. Beautiful girls behind you. You have a nice car. Your, your bank account is full, right? Or I see other commercials where, boy, you could just name them all through the Super Bowl commercials or you, you talk about just wearing a nice shirt and all of a sudden your relationships are all fixed up. Don't let me start even about Geico. Okay. It all, you, you try and figure out, everyone is lying to you. The music is lying to you about what love is and what love isn't, and love is a feeling, and love is a, is a lust, and, and, and they're lying to you about the definition of love. And then you've got these financial gurus, you've got Suze Orman, and you've got uh, Tim Robbins telling you how to be successful, and you've got uh, rich man, poor man, whatever his, the author's name is, he's telling you how to make money, and what the meaning of life is. And Suze Orman tells you that money brings security. Is all of this right? I, I submit to you that none of that could be depended on, brothers and sisters. The only thing that could, weigh, that could give you grounding, that could give you firm standing, is the Word of God. Walking in the Word of God. If you want to know that you are walking on the sure path, the right path, the firm footing, you have to know whether or not, you got to look at whether or not you are following the Word of God. In 2 John, he's talking to a woman, writing to a woman, telling her about the importance of truth. You notice in 2 John, we're only going to go through four verses. He says here, 
the elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also who all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Verse 4. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would live out the gospel truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave this passage to you this morning so you would live out the gospel truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's some more notes. If you want to follow along, there's some notes back behind Leah. Manny, is there anyone else who would like some notes following along the sermon? I think everyone has it. Okay, good. All right. Now, what is the definition of truth? The definition of truth is not what's true for me is what's true for you. And then that's the kind of the world's definition of truth. It is a relative definition of truth. The definition of truth is what God has ordained. The definition of truth is what he has revealed. The definition of truth is that which is verifiable in the word of God. Everything that God says is true. Everything that he says can be banked on, is trustworthy, is believable, can be confirmed. Jesus says that thy, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. What was happening is in, if you look at verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So what was happening was in the churches, there were people who were lying. There were deceivers who were coming in that sounded like Christians, smelled like a Christian, but didn't really quite pass muster. If you really were to check out what they really believed, they weren't really Christians at all. In fact, they probably went to all the Bible studies, probably went to all the fellowships, even went to the services, but they were deceiving. They would say things about Christ that sounded just right, but it wasn't quite right. And these people would come and they would go to different churches and they didn't have social media, they didn't have texting, they didn't have a phone call where one pastor can go to another pastor and just say, hey, watch out for these guys. They're coming. They tried to mess up our church. They're coming to yours, right? They would just travel on. And what they would do is they would take advantage of the love and the compassion of other Christians. Notice he says here in verse 9, this woman was known for her hospitality, but in verse 9, John tells her, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God, the one who abides in the teaching. He has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. Do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. See, what was happening is there was this sweet woman. She probably had a lot of money. We're thinking that she was probably a widow. They don't mention her husband at all. I don't think this is a metaphor for a church. Notice he says, to the elder, verse 1, 
to the chosen lady and her children. I don't think it's a metaphor for the church. I believe it was a woman and her extended family, right? There was some family who live with them still, her children, right? But what he was saying is, you, are, you have been so wonderful with the saints. You have been hospitable with the saints. You have shown kindness to the saints. You have loved them. But what you lack is discernment. You lack discernment. You don't know where to stop. And what John says is, when you help those who do not teach and they're trying to disrupt the fellowship, when you help them, you are actually hurting the spread and the propagation of the gospel. And so he says, don't help them. Now, she needs to learn that, and we need to learn that as well. And so before he starts out with discernment, he says, you need to be knowing the truth, loving the truth, defending the truth, living the truth. That is the word of God. So how are you to live gospel truth? How are you to live the gospel truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, there are four different elements that we see here in the text, okay? Four different elements. Verse one, verse one, let God's truth draw us together, okay? Let God's truth draw us together. Notice, truth leads to authentic love. Real truth, gospel truth, leads to authentic love. He says, the elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth. The elder there is a typical word for elder, presbyteros. John doesn't even have to identify himself as an apostle, as it's already known. It's already well received. He calls himself the elder. Elders are the ordained leaders and under shepherds of the church. God has called churches to be governed by a plurality of elders. John is not only an elder, but also the last living apostle commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. As an apostle, his authority and oversight reached quite farther. His love and concern for Christ and the woman in question prompted this letter. You notice, when truth is at stake, love moves. Okay. When truth is at stake, love moves. And then he says, to the chosen lady and her children. Notice in verse 1, the lady there is a feminine form of, of you could say, of the Lord of the house. We used to say the Lord of the house or the lady of the house. If you speak Spanish or Tagalog, you would say the doña, the doña of the house. Uh, the normal reading of the text seems to indicate that she is real. She may have been a widow. Her children are the extended family in the house. But she, he calls her the chosen, the select, picked out, selected, elected one, the elect lady. The Bible makes, uh, calls the people of God elect without hesitation. He calls her elect as a term of endearment of the reality of God's sovereignty of how he has chosen her before the foundation of the world unto salvation. And in Christian circles today, some would say this term is controversial, but John, by the Holy Spirit, uses it without hesitation. It is a blessed word. Brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ right now, you are elect. You are chosen. He has shown his 
affection to you in this real time. But let me tell you, before the heavens were created, before the foundation of this world, he thought of your sinning scoundrel self. And he says, he or she would never turn to me. I'm going to choose him or her anyways. And he says, I love you. See, that's a love story, isn't it? That kind of love and that kind of security in relationship allows me, allows you to take on any kind of risk for the gospel. Because I know that the God of the universe has got my back. Has given me, shown me his love. And now, we know this. You could read many verses. Let me read Ephesians 1.4 to you. You don't have to turn there. But this is the classic verse on election. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons. And then he moves on. This authentic love is shown between real people. The apostle John is concerned about this woman, okay? If he didn't care, he would have just said, oh, it doesn't matter. Let's just be kind. Let's just be happy. Who cares who goes over to the house? No, he is really concerned. He says, whom I love in truth. John knew her and her children personally. The word their love is our classic term agape, which means I love the object irrespective of whether or not they return love to me. I will love as an act of the will to benefit them. In truth, it doesn't mean not truly I love you, but rather I love you as one sharing in the same truth as you. Sharing in the same gospel. In other words, because you love Christ, because you love the truth, I love you too. Pat texted me, he says, oh man, we're coming to, to church. I said, well, then we're having a bonfire. And we're going to go to the beach. He said, really? I said, what? Are you kidding me? Your family. You love the gospel. We, I love you. You're precious to me. Right? We love each other. We love, we, we love each other because we love the same truth. We love the same Christ. He has changed our lives. We're never going back. Ever. Amen. I love you as one fellow believer. This is what John is saying. I love you as one fellow believer to another who loves Jesus and the pure gospel. He, Paul says the same kind of phraseology. I'll just uh, read it to you in 1 Timothy 1-2. He says, To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In the faith. You're my child in the faith. He says it, to Timothy and 2 Timothy, retain the standard words, the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. What binds us together is not cultural gimmicks. What binds us together is not uh, picking the flashiest kind of advertisement because we don't have it. What binds us together is not that we serve good food. You see what I'm saying? What binds us together is a soul desire to live the truth and to expound the truth and to spread the truth because it glorifies the Son of God. Amen. And this is why we support men 
who do that, who have a high view of Scripture, a high view of Christ, who proclaim Him from the rooftops. Now, this truth draws us together. And this is why if you are a Christian and you go to any other country and there are believers who love Christ, love His Word, all of a sudden you are connected with the truth draws us together. And truth leads also to infectious love. He says, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Gospel, biblical truth determines, dictates, governs tangible expressions of love. We don't have a, what is called a sloppy agape, right? Where love is kind of this amorphous jello. It just, we just kind of, oh, I love, I love, I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, man. You, you hear those kind of Hollywood types and sometimes you see in movies and you just laugh. They go, oh, I love you, love you, love you, love you, love you. And they just kind of snap, snap their fingers and point. That is not our love. Our love is deeper than this. Our love goes to the Savior himself. Our love is as deep as the Redeemer's blood. John's care and love extends not just to this woman, though he loves her, but to all who are in truth, all who are in Christ. John had to speak up. Love speaks even if it hurts feelings. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Love speaks even if it hurts feelings. Even if it risks relationships, love is going to speak. I don't care if you get mad at me and you're standing in the middle of the street and a car is coming without control. If I shout at you, I don't care if you get mad at me. I am going to speak the truth. And this is what John is saying. Love speaks even if it hurts feelings. This woman had a great heart for people and for hospitality and that is commendable, but she lacked discernment. It is enough to not know she should not be helping all who just say they're Christians. She was in fact not helping Christianity. She was not helping the gospel. She was not helping the life-giving message of the gospel, the propagation of truth, which she loved herself. She was helping false teaching. So you got to watch that. Okay? Those who say they're Christians, smell like Christians, and yet, do not preach the pure gospel, do not teach the pure gospel, are actually taking away from the gospel. And I would throw in there the prosperity teachers. I would throw in there the folks who think Jesus is only there to meet your own goals and your own journey. I would throw in there all kinds of manner of false teaching, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, all of them. That is all false. We cannot help that. Because when we do help that, you're propagating a false gospel, which doesn't save. Because of John's primary love for Christ and his truth and his love for the woman and all those present, he had to say something to give them discernment. Real people. A real situation. Real, authentic love. Do you do this? Here's a question. Do you do this? I think oftentimes some people think that a Christian should just be nice. You just be nice. Just a Christian, I'm nice. You know? 
A Christian should not ruffle feathers, not hurt feelings, be a nice, soft pillow. Right? I come from a culture, as many of you do, where truth is jettisoned, swept under the rug, simply for a false sense of peace. Don't want to talk about it. Just don't talk about it. Just don't talk about it. If you are not, listen to me, if you claim to be a Christian, listen to me. If you are not lovingly confronting sin in yourself and your brothers and sisters, you do not love God's truth. You say everything, I love God's word, I love... You do not, because love moves to action. You don't have to be an elder. You don't have to be a shepherd. If you see your brother and sister in sin and you do nothing, you do not love God's truth. And let me tell you, you don't really love God. You love your own reputation more than him, more than his glory, more than his namesake. In fact, you have a very weak understanding and a very limited love of Jesus if you think these major doctrinal issues do not matter, then you definitely do not love Jesus. Some folks will say, well, it doesn't matter if someone teaches if Jesus is God and Jesus is not God. It doesn't matter. We're all going to the same place. You don't love them at all. There is one way. There is one truth. There is one life, and that is Christ. And you don't even care to tell them the truth. Love always moves to action. Dads, you see sin in your children and you keep making excuses and you keep making excuses and you don't lovingly confront and you don't love, you don't love Jesus nor your children. I got a verse for you, right? He who spares a rod hates his son. He hates his son. Wives, you see sin in your husband and you don't lovingly confront. You don't love Christ or your husband. Youth, you see sin in your brothers or sisters and you don't lovingly confront. You don't really love them. Love moves to action. Love moves to action. Let God's truth draw us together in real authentic love. Amen. It's not my personality, you may say. I'm quiet, you may say. I can't do that. Yes, you can. By God's grace, you're called to take out the log first out of your own eye. But you must speak truth into people's lives. Amen? Let God's truth draw us together. Let God's truth grip you forever. Verse 2, let God's truth grip you forever. For the sake of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. For the sake of the truth. John doesn't write the letter to lord over his authority over this woman, family, and other believers. He doesn't do it to pull rank. He does it for the sake of truth. How do you know when to speak up? There's the question. How do you know when to speak up? Here's, here's some tests, okay? When the action or the belief goes against clear biblical teaching and it cannot be overlooked, that's when you move. That's when you move. When the action or the belief goes against clear biblical teaching and it cannot be overlooked. If you truly love them, you will move. Right? Or 
if it robs Christ of his glory, the thought or the belief, or if it hinders the work or the progress of the gospel. So John is compelled because of the gospel. He says it is the sake of the truth which abides in us. The word therefore abides is, is the same term that John has been using. He uses it in John 15. He uses it in 1 John. Uh, it is to remain. It is to stay, to continue, to persist in. God's truth, if indeed known accurately through Scripture, resides in you. Your mind will not be changed about the central truths of God's Word. In other words, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit allows you to see the truth of Scripture, allows you to see the importance of Christ and of the blood and of, cro of the cross and of salvation and of justification by faith alone, that you could only be saved through Christ. He, he shows you this, and it resides in you, and it stays with you. The true Christian will not reject this. This doesn't mean that you know everything, but that which is essential. He supernaturally preserves its teaching in you. How? Look at 1 John. Remember that book, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Just a page before. Notice he says, As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and it is true, and it is not a lie, just as it is taught you, you abide in him. This doesn't mean there's no need for pastors or teachers. This is not what John is saying. We know in Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says, God has given apostles, prophets, pastors and teachers for the building up of the church. What he is saying is that when someone comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit, that is the anointing, okay, he comes upon them and allows them to see the word of God for what it really is. It is no longer an, a, a, a collection of ideas, but it is the words of life. It is no longer simply that Jesus died on the cross, but now it's Jesus died for me and you can't change my mind. The Bible says that it remains in you. I think it's quite astonishing that he continues and he says, and will be with us forever. Notice how he says it. Go to the Gospel of John. Same author, remember. In John chapter 14, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we still abide? It is the work of the Holy Spirit has done, has opened our eyes, caused us to see the things of Christ, to see the beauty of the Word of God, to believe upon it and put our whole lives on it. In John 14, 17, it says, uh, 16, I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper, that He may be with you forever. Now notice, the same phraseology from 2 John. That is the spirit of truth. That is the Holy Spirit's other name. He is the spirit of truth. Of truth. He is the originator of truth. He is the propagator of truth. He is the illuminator of truth. That means that when you read the word of God, he opens your mind to understand. Even as I am preaching, your mind is understanding. Okay. He says here, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, they don't have the capability. They don't have the understanding. They can be bright in many other fields, but they cannot understand the truth of God apart from the Spirit of God. 
He says here, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because, here it is, here's the phrase, he abides with you and will be in you. The spirit of truth who brings the word of God abides with you and will be in you. Notice he uses the same phraseology, this word, let God's truth grip you forever. It is solidified. It is locked up. It is made sure by the Holy Spirit of God himself. Go back to 2 John. 2 John. 2 John. And verse 2. Excuse me, verse Verse 3, let God's truth draw us together. Let God's word grip you forever. Thirdly, let God's truth permeate your atmosphere. Let God's truth permeate your atmosphere. Notice he says, this is the change of the person's life of someone who believes and trusts in the truth of God. He says here, grace Mercy and peace will be with us. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. When you know the truth of God, when you are convinced of the truth of God because of what Jesus has done and the Holy Spirit opening your mind, you revel in sweet certainties. You revel in sweet certainties. The words grace and mercy and peace are not simply casual pleasantries that someone says to one another. Oh, grace to you, peace to you. Oh, that's so gracious. No, these words, because of the truth and the weight that are on them, because of what God has caused them to be, grace, the unmerited favor to a people who deserve judgment. The unmerited favor to a people who deserve judgment. Mercy is God's kindness to a helpless and hopeless people. Peace is the cessation of rebellion and a reconciliation of enemies to friends. If you realize and you know and you are seated and situated and abiding in the truth of God, you revel in these sweet certainties. You're sure about it. This is the air you breathe. If you were a fish, this would be the water you swim in. John MacArthur said it this way, the three terms summarize the progression of the plan of salvation. God's grace caused him to grant mercy, which results in peace. Amen? I wish I could write like that. I remember there was a a uh, woman in our ministry before, um, many, many years ago. She always talked about God in the sunshine, God in the air, and God in the birds. And I understand that. That is God's natural revelation, right? I love to be at the beach, right? To see what God does. I love to feel my smallness in the ocean. But we talked about God of the Bible and she always backed off. She didn't like to talk about definite, distinct terms. 
She didn't like to talk about the God of the Bible and how he shows his grace. It's not, you know, she only wanted to say God is gracious. Okay, how does he show it? He showed it by giving us his son, right? Dying on the cross. Well, I don't want to talk about that. I just want to talk about God and he's so kind and nice. And, and I see him in the birds of the air. And I see him in the sunlight. She spoke so religiously. But she knew nothing about what these really meant. And what it meant for God to display his grace, mercy, and peace in the death of his son. She would not obey God's truth. She has since denied the faith and left, and she had a fake sense of spirituality, but no real certainty to anything. Beware of folks who speak religiously, yet have no depth in what they talk about. But that's not you, brothers and sisters, if you know Christ. These are not mere theological terms, are they? These are known truths that change the very air that you breathe. See, now listen, that's why we sing, but as I ran my hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, you looked upon my helpless state, that's mercy, right? And led me to the cross, and I beheld God's love displayed. You suffered in my place, you bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. That's all I know. That's all I know. He's been good to me. You sing this marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, outpoured there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. And then you sing this, what? Grace, sing it with me. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater And it is a sweet certainty. Amen. Amen. You cherish sweet relationships. You cherish sweet relationships. To think because of God's grace and mercy, he has allowed you to know and believe the truth. This has brought peace with God the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. The false teachers taught that Jesus did not come in the flesh and that he only appeared to die on the cross. But we know that Jesus is fully God and fully man, right? You see what this does? The very basis, this is why doctrine is so important, okay? Follow along with me. The very basis of grace, mercy, and peace crumbles with the denial of the incarnation. It falls apart. You have no basis for grace, no basis for mercy, no basis for peace if you do not stay firm on God's truth. That's why you have to walk and live in God's truth. But because this is true, because it is true that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, 
then you have the sweetest of most important relationships. You are an object of the affection of God himself. God the Father, so much so, he sent his son for you so that you can spend your life giving him glory. You can speak to God the Father at any hour now, at any time of the day. Without appointment, he will hear you as if you were the only one on earth. You have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who will be with you to the end of the age, who will never leave you or forsake you, who will stick closer to you than a brother. In short, you are secured in both the love of the Father and the Son in real and definite terms, not some amorphous, emotionalistic cloud of undefined sunshine. For you, there is real forgiveness, real blood, real fellowship with God in truth and in love. Let God's truth draw us together. Let God's grip, word, grip you forever. Let God's truth permeate your atmosphere. And lastly, let God's truth master your life. Let God's truth master your life. Notice verse 4. He says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father. You know, when you walk and you follow God, there is no joy more pleasing than that. When you are in the center of God's will and you are right with God. See, a lot of times, please listen to me. A lot of times, when we are in our sin, what God has given us, a God-given gift, is our conscience and the guilt that comes from the sin. Our guilt from not being right with God the Father. Our guilt weighs on us. And what folks do to assuage that guilt so that they won't feel it is they immerse themselves in other things. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's inherently wicked things, like they give themselves over to illicit sex or, or illegal drugs, or they give themselves over to substances that would control them. Other times it's simply just, they are okay things, but they just give themselves over to it. It could be TV. It could be sports. It could be bodybuilding. It could be anything. They give themselves over to it, and you see it all. If you are a Christian, you just see it now. You finally have eyes to see. I remember when I got saved. And everyone was chasing after the world. And everyone cared about what people thought about them. And when God saved me, I didn't care anymore. I didn't care. I lost all my friends. And I didn't care anymore because I had Christ. I was forgiven. I had grace and peace. You remember that? Do you remember that? God's word uncovered it. Amen. Showed me the truth. Gave me joy. And that's why the psalmist says in even 40, verse 40, he says, Psalm 40, he says, I delight to do thy will. Third John, he says, I have no greater joy than this. So what John is saying is that he knows the real joy of knowing Christ. Okay, 
He knows the real peace of knowing Christ. And it is expounded. It is multiplied. It is overflowing when he sees others under his care know the love of Christ too. Walk with Christ too. Serve Christ. Take risks for Christ. He is full of joy. I'll tell you this, if you're a parent, your, your joyful days are when your kids come to Christ. You love that you are exuberant or the first time you share the gospel and someone actually believed you are exuberant. You are filled with bliss because someone, the most important thing that could ever happen to you happened to someone else. And it's joyful. Let God's truth master your life. It is joyful and it is also honoring. Notice he says, just as we have received commandment to do from the Father, His truth is not a good thing to do whenever you have time. You know, those kind of things. Like, uh, it's about, maybe it's about time for you to take off your, take down your Christmas tree lights, you know. I'll do that when I have time. Or, or maybe it's time you finally put pictures into your frames and put them on the wall that you've been meaning to do. Your kids are now 25, right? You should do that, right? No, it's not like that where you could just kind of push it off. His truth is a command. Notice he says here, just as we receive commandment to do from the Father. The, the word there means a command, a writ, an order, a decree. It means to let God's truth draw us together, to let God's word grip you forever, to let God's truth permeate, permeate your atmosphere. And lastly, to let God's truth master your life. They're not suggestions, they are commands. To love the truth regarding Christ, salvation, to live and to defend it is to do what it says. And notice he ends it, he goes, grace and mercy will be with you. Very glad that some of your children are walking in the truth. Walking is the habitual life and behavior of someone. He doesn't simply say for those who are just confessing the truth or those who give lip service to the truth, who say, I'm a Christian on a Sunday and live like the devil through the whole week. He's saying they walk. Walk there uh, means a habitual characteristic of how they live their lives. Because Christ has saved them, because the Holy Spirit has changed them, because the Word of God resides in them, their life is now different. They walk different. Now, are you living out the gospel truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? That's where we start. You have to know Him first. Quit running. This word walk can be used in the other way. You're walking away from God. Are you walking with God? Turn to him. He will forgive you of your sins. Let God's truth draw us as a church together. Let God's truth grip you forever. Let God's truth permeate your atmosphere. And finally, let God's truth master your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are 
taken aback at, at your beauty. Oh, you, you could have left us in the darkness, but you shine the light of your truth. And you've caused us to see your glory. You've caused us to see your wonder. We pray, Father, that we would be a people of the truth. You say that your Bible, you say that the church is the pillar of the truth. We need to stand for the truth. But we know we can't do this apart from your work and apart from the strength that which Christ supplies. So we abide in you. We depend on you. We ask, Father, that you would help us to sing and bless our fellowship time even in the, uh, the afternoon for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.